0: Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Documentary Die Diehards, the show where three sports fr- fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. I'm Ren with Sam and Nick. Guys, how's it going? Nick, what's up?
1: Not too much. How are you guys doing? Pretty good.
2: Ren, I like that aloha start. That was
1: awesome.
0: <laughs> Just trying to get... I wish I was in Hawaii here. right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You're the one that
0: could have changed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sam, um, we were just talking before we got on about the NBA Finals. I mean obviously we're what, three games in now? It's been a pretty good series so far. What have what are you what have been interested in watching in that within that series so far?
2: Uh it's been it's been pretty good. I mean the first two games were pretty lopsided and then um, this last game, I know Nick and I were talking about it yesterday, the Heat really on um, a show and com- <clears throat> the Lakers with a uh, far worse roster because mm-hmm. Bam and um, Goran Drogic are both out. And so, Nick, what did you think about watching Jimmy Butler just destroy the Lakers? <clears throat>
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely a fun game to watch, fun uh, fun performance to have. Uh, it was fun seeing uh, LeBron James and uh, Jimmy Butler kind of go back at it uh, with each other. Um, I just love Jimmy Butler and seeing his feistiness and uh, just will to win, uh, determination to win at all costs or, uh, you know, just like whatever performance uh, that he needed to put down and um, He was so efficient last night, though. Uh, It was just a really fun game to watch.
2: He was basically LeBron
1: last night. (laughs) It seemed like. Like, as good as LeBron ever is, yes. Yes. Right. Uh, You know, he did the whole triple-double thing. Um, I don't remember his stats from the floor, but he only missed, like, four shots uh, the whole night, and he had 40 points, and um just made everybody around him better so yeah uh, just that's uh definitely like what you said LeBron what we're used to seeing LeBron do uh, he did and on a macro scale um Jeff uh Jeff Angangany was saying that that was the biggest performance he's ever seen in the finals with a team that was completely outmatched um, and to bring them to wow. to win was just so. Fun. I don't know. I was I was sitting here. I'm not uh, the the biggest in the NBA, but uh, it was just so fun to see him just take control. And every time up the floor, it was all right. Like he was starting with the ball, um, and he was just talking smack, which uh, you know, which uh, you know I liked. It <laughs> just seeing. I thought it was entertaining and just made me think of uh, our documentary back to like Reggie Miller, um, because I, I told Sam this after the fact. So we were trying to think of what player. Uh, is the closest uh, comparison to Reggie miller nowadays and i couldn't remember what my thought was um but it was reggie or reggie miller thinking it was uh jimmy butler okay. uh, was my comparison that i never uh, stated before but um but yeah that was my after the fact or after the podcast revelation so anyways yeah, I li- a lot of fun. I like that
2: comparison, the Reggie Miller and Jimmy Butler comparison. You know, top 20 players, both of them super feisty, work for everything they've got. Yeah, it's good. And I, one thing I've also been watching in the NBA Finals run is just the fact that LeBron is in his 17th season and still looks like, you know, a top three, top two player in the world. I just think it's incredible what he's doing and something that, you know, we may never see this again, and he could very well go for the next five years and still be a top five or top ten player.
0: Yeah, do you think he will go for the next five? Like, how long do you think it'll last? Like, you, you were mentioning, like, there's these other um, players that do that, like Tom Brady. Like, you think every year you think he'll drop off, but they just don't.
2: Right. <clears throat> I mean, there's no evidence to say that he's really dropping off right now. He's, if anything, he's like changing his game a little bit. To become, you know, more of an assist guy, maybe more of a shooter, and not rely on his explosiveness as much. But if you watch him, like he can still explode off the floor. He's still dunking like crazy, and um, and like in clutch moments, he's still willing to take on like the biggest defensive roles when he needs to. And it's just so so impressive. And as like a sports fan, I just feel lucky to have been able to watch have watched him since you know 2003.
0: Yeah. I, I can't uh, argue with that. It's hard to argue. And uh, going off the Jimmy Butler thing, like, I'm not necessarily the biggest Jimmy Butler fan, but, like, la- the, last night, we were reporting on Monday. Sunday's game was, like, how can you not be, like, just impressed by that? Like, mm-hmm. the team is so outmatched, you know, talent-wise. They're two of their, like, top, what, four best players are injured and out. And they're playing, like, maybe the most talented team in, in the world. Yeah, it, I mean, it was super impressive that what Jimmy Butler did. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Going to uh, just one bit I want to say about LeBron because I want to uh, put my my theory, I guess, I've had for many years. I, I think he's going to play at least until his son gets in the league. I think he wants to play with his son.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel
1: like hasn't he said something like
0: that or just
1: alluded to it at least?
0: I, I think that's definitely a, a I don't know about a safe bet, but, like, a very, uh, probably something that could very likely happen. And I think it's... Yeah,
1: give me the Vegas odds.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, Brownie is, like, a, a freshman, right? So, he, what is that put a 14, 15? I think
1: he's a, he was a freshman last year, right, on Sierra Canyon. Oh, um, so he'd be a sophomore mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I think he'd be a sophomore okay. now, but so yeah. yeah
2: depending if they lift that one and done rule at any time it'll be another four years
1: mm-hmm.
0: hmm. we'll see um anything else guys should we get into this this documentary i didn't even really mention what documentary it was
2: yeah let's get into it yeah
0: so today's documentary is called run ricky run it's about uh, Ricky Williams, the Miami Dolphins for most of his career, uh, star running back. And it's a documentary, uh, just to give a quick summary of it, kind of produced by him, Ricky Williams, um, at least at his request. And it just kind of surrounds, it starts um, after he left the NFL, um, retired early, and um, and the kind of situation surrounding that was that he was going to be suspended after having, um, I think it was his third drug test failed in the NFL and he was, uh, suspension was looming. He retired and he kind of went on this self-discovery journey where he tried to kind of find out what he really wanted. Obviously like they talk a lot about his, not really a lot, but a decent amount about like, his marijuana use and, but he does all these other kind of things. He went like out of the country and he thought about maybe never returning. He's very introspective in this then does yoga and it just kind of surrounds the whole movie kind of surrounds his uh, around him and how kind of he's trying to wrestle with figuring out what kind of he wants to pursue and kind of, what kind of person he wants to be. Um, he, I think he converted to Hinduism at one point and, and that's really kind of what it, it, the whole documentary, It, it, um, covers his return back to football. He came back and had a good, another stretch of years playing in the NFL. Um, and it just kind of discusses like those kind of all the issues that people brought up about his drug use, his suspensions, and then his career, his retirements, and and then the other side, it's a little bit more private. Which which is one of the cool things about this documentary is all the, the footage that like some of it's home movie stuff, and others is like this exclusive stuff that he, his sort of friend, who he asked to produce this documentary and direct it, um, captured over like a five year span, uh, starting when he retired from the NFL for the first time. So. Um, that's kind of the summary. Um, he, a very, he's like a very unusual, atypical NFL player. Um, this was produced again in 2005. It aired in April 27th. Excuse me, 2010. Um, as um, most, we're kind of going in order of when these aired. Director Sean Pamphilon and Royce Tony co-directors. Uh, the Sean Pamphilon character is is like a character in it too he's talking about how you know he met ricky and and he was ricky literally asked him to do this documentary to show people that um why he retired and just kind of explain himself to people so what did you guys think uh sam give me your thoughts first just your initial off the uh top of the head thoughts after you watch this
2: sure my f- my first thought is just what an interesting and misunderstood human, I guess. Um, like you said, he's so much different than 99% of people and 99, well, specifically football players. Like, you know, if, to make it in the NFL, most of these guys have to be these big rah-rah guys who, um, you know, maybe like, they don't put. They're not as thoughtful, I guess. Uh, I I don't know if that's a fair way of putting it, but you know what I mean. Like, the, throughout this whole mm-hmm. documentary, he just like gets so deep into his feelings and thoughts, and that's just not something that worries to seeing from NFL players or star NFL players. And so I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, as far as what I remember about all the situations he was in and stuff, um, one of the quotes said that. The media took it as he walked away from the game exclusively to get high. The reality is he walked away to heal a broken body and feed a searching mind. And um, I really um, remember a lot of the coverage from when he stepped away and retired for the first time and how everybody viewed it as like, oh, he's just some pothead who all he wants to do is go to a foreign country and, you know, smoke weed all day. And it was just really interesting to see a different side of it and, understands the reasoning behind it i guess so those are my initial takeaways what about you nick
1: yeah i agree with you you know from the standpoint of what under misunderstood uh human and, and just I, I just took it as how different he is than than uh what you know the stereotypical you know person either at that, that age is um you know, let alone, like, just, you know, like, football player, obviously, we we don't necessarily think of that, um, that introspective, that uh, deep uh, thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, provoking, and, and that sort of thing, so um, I, I found it interesting from that point of view, um, I, I thought it was interesting, just his thoughts, and in the, the uh, like, behind the scenes, uh, you know, like, interviews that they had, or just perspectives, and just him kind of rambling on. It was a little eerie just because he was just like talking to no one. It seemed like and and just kind of talking and, and just trying to follow where he was going and, and uh, you know, like if he was actually making sense or, uh, of things or, or where he was trying to go uh, as far as his points uh, that he was making, but um, mm-hmm. just interesting and, and eerie, I guess is, kind of the main words
0: that come to my mind at
1: least yeah um and so just to kind of go through
0: the beginning of it um he was drafted by the i I mean he, he starred at university of texas um they had some interviews with mac brown who was his coach back then he was drafted um the fifth overall pick in the 1999 nfl draft by the new orleans saints um head coach mike ditka uh, with the Saints at the time, mm-hmm. um, and he, who did he pose? Did he pose with Ditka in a wedding dress on some magazine? Yeah, it was ESPN magazine. I think. <laughs> anyway, so, um, that was a he,
2: such a ridiculous <laughs> cover.
0: I couldn't yes. believe that. <laughs> um, he kind of had struggles. He injured. He got. He was injured for a good portion of his two years in New Orleans, but a big um to take away from me from that section was his rookie contract was almost exclusively incentive based like which is unheard of for Mm -hmm. really any nfl contract and so he was like so it was already a clue then like he was he was he was not the normal nfl player like he comes into the league one of the star rookie running backs and he's like i want to earn um my money Even though when you're a rookie, you get this big – when you're that high of a pick, you get a big signing bonus. You get all this basically money that you earned in college um, given to you, you know, eventually paid out once you're drafted. And he's like, I want to earn it um, on the field. Mm -hmm. And so he had this incentive-based contract. It's kind of wild. Um, And then it kind of goes into – Did you mention – Yeah, go ahead.
2: I was um, sorry you're cutting out a little bit on my end, but did you mention that he hired oh. a uh, rapper as an agent?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me who
2: who did he have again? I think it was Master P. I think I've read yeah. it down somewhere, but yeah, hired a rapper as an agent, which probably isn't the best idea in the world.
0: Yeah, I, I that was wild, and so yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty just another thing of why he's um uh, just a reason why he's not the typical guy out there in the NFL Mm -hmm. um so then he goes to Miami which is where most of us know him as uh Miami Dolphin he spent most of his career there traded there um in 2002 so I mean this really wasn't that long ago this was as we said this aired in 2010 um for the first time so first came out you know Uh, Not too long after all this stuff took place. And then he, um, in 2004, in May of 2004, he tested positive for uh, marijuana. um, Or he had a couple months before that. And he had, before that, he had a prior, basically, positive um, test. um, Or I guess right after that. So he had all these, these three, as we mentioned before, his three failed drug tests, which made him subject to a suspension. Um, and he decided to retire. Um, it was like rumor at first, and then in August, right before training camp, um, he retired and studied Ayurveda or something, Ayurveda the ancient Indian system of holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of, what did you guys think about that? Cause that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, not at all.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I
2: mean, it, just, it was just shocking that someone in their prime, um, you know, with so much money to make and, and so much ahead of him, um, just steps away. And they, they mentioned that, um, when he got traded to the Dolphins in those two years, they gave him 700 plus carries in two seasons, which is an NFL record. And his body was just really taking a beating. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense that he was trying to find natural ways to heal the body because obviously his body was just getting
0: absolutely wrecked on the football field. Yeah, it makes sense Um, there. And like they kept showing this picture from when he, he went to Australia and he was like, kind of just MIA for a while and it, there's only one picture of him in Australia with his foot sticking out of his bed yeah. mm-hmm. and they kept they kept showing that just as like an illustration of how how wild that period of his life was um and that's really when the documentary started to be created right he wanted to have someone to document how he he was not nuts he's not um just a pothead who just wants to party and smoke weed or whatever And he wanted to kind of have someone to explain to, I don't know, whoever watches the public or whatever that, you know, he, he, at least from his point of view, he didn't want to, he wasn't just leaving because he failed a drug test and he wanted to avoid that. And he wanted to smoke weed and get high. Um, I mean, I suppose you can still argue either way, but he, you know, he was going to find himself, you know, quote unquote, and. Ultimately, he did return to play football, like, the next year. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, it, it really wasn't that. And that I don't know if the documentary really did a good job of kind of laying up the timeline. That's kind of why I'm now. Because it, the documentary, it had these interviews with, with him, like, when the guy came to his house. And, and Ricky's just lying on the couch or standing, weirdly, by a door or something. And he... It's not really laid out well in the documentary about like how you know the sequence of events and everything like that, but Ronnie Brown kind of you know came up in his place, but he did return to football and there he was on the Dolphins again and eventually got suspended again for a week mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he had to play play in the um Canadian Football League while he served a year suspension. Oh, I do want to mention. do you guys remember it was some interview and he wasn't even really making sense and it was like like they were asking him like questions about i don't even know like his mental health and stuff and at one point he had like a whole bunch of crumbs on his Mm -hmm. face and the guy was like he was like would would you want me to tell you if if you had some crumbs on your beard he'd be like no (laughs) it's like why would you want that and he was just like standing like weirdly by the wind by the door and and so like there was all this this like things that are making you think like that he needs like some sort of medical help and it kind of happens a lot because he seemed to just not be like lucid all the time Mm -hmm. um i don't know nick what did you think about just how that was really displayed the whole entire documentary
1: yeah i i mean there had to have been some sort of a metal mental illness I would I would think or in my opinion at least going on throughout that whole uh, site or self-searching um, you know yeah. time in his life and and so I would just wonder uh, I mean you know that goes into it later as far as the documentary when they talk about he was diagnosed with a couple of different things um, and, and when he went into re- was it rehab or treatment? Um, I, I think it was labeled as treatment, but then they diagnosed him as being a a drug addict and he never, uh, really agreed with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting and that's where it was, you know, kind of eerie to me where it was like, you're watching this, this guy talk and you're just trying to figure out what he's thinking. I mean he's saying what he's thinking, but just like what's provoking these thoughts of like um I'm trying to think of specific examples, but it was like why are we talking about the past? Yeah. Uh yeah. you know, and it's like, well that's the point of this whole right. thing. Right. He... Is to kind of highlight what's going on. But then he would like flip a switch and go the opposite way. Yeah,
2: I found that confusing that he you know he wanted this documentary to be made, but then I have written down that the interviews were really hard to predict this documentary must've been hard to make because Ricky didn't seem to like to reflect very much. Um, and he never really gave direct answers. It was always beating around the bush or just saying like, Mm -hmm. why are you even asking me about that? Things like that.
1: Yeah. I felt like they talked, um, to him about questions. And then I don't know if I ever gained any knowledge from like what he said. Right. It was, you know just kind of talking and you're just like okay like that's kind of a weird question or a weird answer to that question mm-hmm. and uh yeah i don't know
0: yeah he and i mean they were interesting obviously interviews and it was it was kind of one of those things that every once in a while you talk to someone and like they do that thing where you you'll say something or you will ask them something and then like whatever it is they'll be like why do you even think this is important or like, you know, we don't, we as humans shouldn't think this way, blah, blah, And so he really like said that any, every time he was asked a question, he was like, well, your premise is wrong in asking this. And so like, it was kind of frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. Completely that, agree. Yeah. <clears throat> um, And so it kind of just kind of routes his career and it, it showed some of his, you know, his amazing skills on the football field, which I liked. It didn't do a ton of that. It was very centered on his home or, you know, away from off the field life. It didn't really focus on his in-game stuff a ton. It did have some of it. Um, it went to his yoga class when he would teach. Oh, uh, well, he was teaching yoga or was he teaching meditation or, or something like that? or maybe both, but he also, like, was giving massages, and he was going to, took classes for some sort of holistic healing, um, and which was all super interesting to to see. Um, I don't really have a ton more, because, I mean, it just kind of ends with him. Um, I guess we should talk about how, like, he had, like, three different kids, and they talked about that with three different women, and his like longtime girlfriend like was a character in the movie too, and and she um, had one of the kids with him, and he had one of the kids with somebody else after, and that was kind of a, they mentioned that in the beginning of the movie, and then at the end they were talking about how he was a much better father. They had this um, scene where he was, you know, hanging out with some of his kids and and talking about how he got some of the help he needed. This was after he went to rehab or treatment mm-hmm. in Boston. And that's so that's really kind of how it ended. It talked to his mom, um, like, at the beginning of this, because it was, like, a five-year production of this movie. So they had interviewed his mom at the beginning, and, and she talked about how he was kind of absent as a father because he had these kids that he didn't see. And and then he talked. And then later she was saying that he's a good father now. Um, and that was kind of trying to, you know, make it a, a, a storyline that has, you know, beginning and end. Um, just to I mean I understand why they did it what do you guys think about just how I mean he was I think he was diagnosed with something involving like narcissistic behavior mm-hmm. or something and, and that was kind of one of my beefs with, with the whole thing because obviously like he was asked to do this documentary by him it was a little it was a little much for me in that it was like he is this new he's he like this kind of not genius, but, like, he's, like, he has these incredible thoughts, and and sure, yeah, like, definitely super interesting and someone to learn from, but, I mean, I'm not trying to judge, but, like, yeah, there it kind of was annoying that they didn't talk more about how, yeah, like, he never saw his kids, and he was, like, he he never even, like, all the people around him he didn't really treat with respect, and he kind of just was selfish in that way and obviously had his own health issues to deal with. But that was kind of one of my takeaways from just kind of the whole thing. What do you guys think about that, Sam?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it, it was interesting how, you know, it was almost like two different people from, you know, what was it, 2005 to 2000 or 2004 to 2009. Like you see the um, videos mm-hmm. when he's first, um starting this documentary, and like Nick said, you know he wasn't making much sense. you could just tell he just wasn't himself, I guess, and um seemed very low energy seemed um even when you just look at him, he just didn't look right, and then, comparing that to five years later, you know he's he just looks so much healthier, he's got more energy he's spending more time with his kids it's like to me it it felt like he had it, he figured it out in those four or five years, um, which I guess was like the whole point of him leaving football in the first place is he had to, you know, he wanted to go figure himself out and um, he, he seemed to do that. So that was cool to see. Um, trying to think if I have anything else to say about that. Nick, did you?
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you, you mentioned is like, he, Like, I wanted to see why and exactly when, and not necessarily that it was one moment, but like how he actually figured all his stuff out. Like, I felt like it was a little just kind of vague, and then it kind of happened at the end, and so it seemed a little artificial. Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly, like, it did seem like he was in a kind of dark period, and that was better, but I didn't feel like we got a really good understanding. I mean, I yeah like it was super interesting the whole entire thing but it was a little i don't know incomplete i guess sure.
2: nick what are your thoughts on it
1: yeah um I, I i i mean ultimately i agree with you guys i don't know i, I feel like you guys kind of hit the points and yeah and uh you know just things that i've uh already kind of said so i feel like i'd be repeating sure. myself. i have so. Um,
2: I was just going to say, I I have one quote to share that I have written down from Dan Levitard that I thought was worth sharing to kind of sum up some of our thoughts at least. Um, He said 95% of what he says is so illuminating and so enlightening and so refreshing and so lucid and then 5% of what he says makes you wonder if he has aluminum foil in his head and is saying that is what keeps the aliens away and I just thought that that was a really good way of, you know, showing that 95% of the time he's a pretty thoughtful and interesting character. And then 5% of the time um, is really shown in those interviews where he just doesn't really seem to grasp what is happening. And, and one um, interview that really caught my attention from like the early parts of the documentary was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the, the director just asked him like, do you miss your kids? And, he legitimately just says like, no, I don't. And he's like, not at all. And he's like, no, I, only when I think about him, I guess. And I just thought that that was like a, wow, you don't really hear people say stuff like that very much.
1: Because usually if they, even if they were to think that they would realize the terrible, <laughs> how that sounds right in question or answering in yeah, that way. And they were just, and there's
2: none of that. There's no like self-reflection, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. It was just like, oh, no, not at all, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like his, um, you know, his his uh, journey to yeah, make life clear or, or whatever you would say his journey was uh, definitely came at the fault of everybody around mm-hmm. him. And he didn't, you know, he didn't see it that way. Um,
0: right. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well said. I, that was also, I like it when you can find a quote that kind of sums up the whole thing, and that was a good mm-hmm. one from Dan mm-hmm. Levitard. Is there anything else before we give our, our kind of ultimate rating? I solution? do have one more thing. If
2: um, okay. I, I think it should be yeah. mentioned that they talk about his family life and um, him growing up as a kid, and um, I thought that that part is very interesting and something I had no idea about. Um, and so did did you already talk about this? Like I said, you cut
0: out a little bit earlier, Ren. No, I didn't. Yeah, good. That's um, a good cat. So
2: yeah, he grew up. Um, he his mom and dad, um, separated early on, and so his his dad wasn't present in his life. But comes to find out that like his dad had, I guess, violated him. Is that a good way of putting it? He, um like pretty much forced Ricky Williams to take pictures of himself naked. It sounds like, um, on a Polaroid camera. And then I don't know what else he was doing really, but Ricky Williams was what, like five years old at the time or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so his dad's like forcing him to take pictures and he, he told his mom about it and his mom actually found one of the pictures and, um, reported his dad and his dad, um, became like a sexual predator then. Um, and, and so that kind of like set the stage for his dad not being a part of his life. And it goes on to talk about, you know, him kind of feeling guilty because he was the reason that his dad wasn't around. And so what are your guys thoughts on that? And did you know anything about that prior to this documentary?
0: Yeah, I didn't know about it at all. Um, before watching this and yeah it was i mean obviously kind of disturbing and um and i that was another case where well it was another case where he kind of deflected the question when when someone asked him about it and he uh the documentarian asked him about it and he's like um why would i focus on something that's in the past i want to focus on the present and it's like it's frustrating the way he answered but also like you get why he does this why he why he deflects this stuff because he doesn't want to he i mean he's still trying to suppress it or you Mm -hmm. know not whatever sure um and so at least that kind of gives you an insight into his his psyche and why he is the way he he is and yeah it was it was i mean it was awful obviously it was so weak so messed up
2: right it, it makes you wonder you know what impact did that have in some of his mental health issues that we saw, you know, when he was in the NFL.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention that I saw on his Wikipedia page that he was actually drafted into the MLB um, and he didn't, he decided not to play. He obviously he went to the NFL and he was drafted by um, the Texas, no, the Philadelphia Phillies and then traded Ultimately traded to the Texas Rangers. Um, he played four seasons in the Phillies farm system wow. while he was in college the mo- uh, hmm. as an outfielder. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that they didn't mention it in the documentary. The modern day Bo Jackson, wild. I guess. Wow, I know. Um, okay, I'll just shoot and give my rating because we we've been going long. I'm gonna give it a five point eight. Um, I don't really have any you know, fancy other things, 5.8 stars, whatever. <laughs> Just because it was, yeah, it was fine. It was good. It was super interesting. And I was honestly fascinated by it. It felt like the, the document documentary went by fast. It was like 54 minutes or something. And I was really interested pretty much the entire time. Um, so pacing was good because that's what that tells me timeline was was bad not clear um that was one of my main points is they missed a lot of stuff um and they didn't really tell us when stuff was happening and it was a little biased obviously coming in it said at the at the top of the movie like he asked us to make this we had hung out or whatever so i knew it was going to be a little but it we needed to see more of his bad side more people that didn't have great things to say about him because like all the interviews were like Either they were great or they were trying to spin it. Like his, you know, like his mom. Like she didn't have great mm-hmm. things to say, but like it was his mom. They didn't have enough. I thought of like maybe some negative stuff that happened. Um, I don't know. There and, and the yeah, just kind of uh, there wasn't enough football stuff in there. Um, and the main issue I had was it was just a little bit. Not the full story, so that's why I give it a five point eight uh Nick
1: yeah, uh agree with you. felt like it was a overall good documentary, but it wasn't anything like significance or life changing that I gained from it uh wasn't a lot of football focus uh more so just him uh so I don't know, it was just kind of like a uh, documentary for me, interesting to get perspective, but um, yeah, so just kind of middle of the road. Uh, five out of ten, uh, Girthy <laughs> forearms because his forearms are humongous. His whole body's humongous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never knew how, I never knew how thick he was uh, until seeing this again. That was no kidding, crazy. <laughs> okay, right, um,
2: Sam. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought um like you guys said it kept my interest the whole time uh ren i think you made a really good point that i hadn't thought of um that they didn't really have any interviews from people who just told a different side of the story i guess you know you heard from his family and his agent and people who are connected with him in a positive way i think even though they were kind of telling it some of the negatives i think they probably were leaving some stuff out too um but I, I liked the interviews. I think it really showed, you know, how much he was struggling and in the interviews kind of provided a new perspective for me about what he was going through at, at the time. And like having lived through that as a sports fan, like I remember um, sports media talking a, a bunch of crap about him. And so it, it was interesting to hear his side of the story and his explanation as to why, um, he decided to step away when he did and so um, i'm gonna give it 6.8 um, dreads because i think his dreads are
0: awesome and, yeah love it we're, we're all really close together mm-hmm. I know. in like <laughs> five weeks <laughs> <laughs> um we're like back to our original like Sam or yeah, Sam's the most positive, I'm the middle, and Nick's the most negative. Even though this is all marginal. But I feel like that's kind of what we started. I feel like
2: everything's just balancing out to the norm now.
0: It's the universe (laughs) is equalizing. Um Okay, uh we're gonna go into Mount Rushmore and we decided on um Miami athletes or Miami sports figures because of this, of Ricky Williams, obviously, um, and, and Miami Heat are in the NBA Finals, and we just mentioned that. Um, Miami Marlins are in the MLB postseason right now. They're still alive. Um, so, it's a, and, and a few weeks ago, we did The U, which is a Miami-focused mm-hmm. documentary also. So Miami's getting its due. Um, and it's my turn to start first. I'm going to hijack this whole thing and introduce it and start First, and I got to just go with the one that pops in my head first and the one that probably all of you want. I'm going to go with Dan Marino, the one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in the NFL. Never won a Super Bowl. Is his biggest detracting factor. But, I mean, he's a legend, Dan Marino. That's all I have to say. Sam is that I'm next? glad you and went with Dan Nick Marino because
2: when I think of Miami, I think of Dwayne Wade. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, more of our generation. Mm-hmm. He is an icon there. Um, led them to what? Three. He won with them. Um, yeah. And he's just the first person yeah. I think of. So, Dwayne Wade for me.
0: Nick?
1: Uh, I think of Pat Riley first. Um, same, you know, uh, thought as far as Dwayne Wade goes, but just. Um, how long has he been in Miami uh, with the Heat? I don't know. I feel like he's just a staple, or at least um, like was he there for Dwayne Wade's first uh, championship?
0: Uh, we'll have to get back to you on that yeah, one. I'll,
1: I'll look it up here. I should know more about <laughs> more about my pick, apparently. <laughs> um, but then who who would be your five two
2: thousand three and then two thousand because you were going. Five to two thousand
1: eight. Oh, that's just his coaching. Hmm. Sorry. So. Oh, because he was coach with. Uh, he was coach of the team, right? When, yeah. So he's been uh, with and, the, and the Miami Jack organization.
2: Won. It sounds like since ninety five.
1: Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I doubled down on my pick, then nice um again again. um yeah and and so um i i just think of him as the orchestrator you know everything heats. um and then i think of uh, uh miguel cabrera uh with the with the marlins first that's a
0: good one winning the world series and uh he was like a big young star. Yeah,
1: a budding star, and they kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, they were like that young team who shouldn't have won the series way back. Oh, when was that?
0: I just saw something. I want to say 2007. Talk okay. about a player
1: that just kind of fell
2: off the yeah. face of the earth, though, right? Like, he was looking like he was going to be one of the greatest of all time, and then I, he hasn't really done that much recently, right, in the last five years.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's up there in age, but I mean, he's been on bad teams. So okay. Like he puts up stats or he was, sure. but that makes sense. But yeah, the Albert Pujols
2: teams teams effect, too, I guess. Those two have had very similar trajectories.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. It was
1: 2003, yeah. by the way. It's
2: a long
0: time
1: oh, ago. Okay.
2: All right. So speak, speaking of a youngster who made a big impact, I'm going to steal this one and hope because I don't know if it'll last another one with Ren picking twice. I'm going to go Dontrell Willis. Ooh. He was the he was so cool. Right That's a great pick. I he, uh, like that. always wore his hat. He was like, I feel like one of the first people who wore his hat, just straight brimmed and off to the side a little bit. And then he had that massive leg kick on the mound. That was just legendary.
1: I imitated that so much in Little League. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. That's funny.
0: Um, Well, I I kind of feel weird about this, but I mean, I'm kind of surprised that this isn't taken. I have to go with uh, Don Shula because, like, he's the winningest. Isn't he the winningest NFL coach of all time? And he had he's the only coach with you know what, he's not the winningest, but he, he had the undefeated mm-hmm. season that no one has ever had. Um the perfect season and I feel like of like NFL coaches, there's a, there's a clump of people like legends that people recognize. It's like Vince Lombardi, it's like Bill Belichick and it's Don Shula. And there's obviously a couple more in there. But those are like if we're talking about Mount Rushmore, then like that's that's its own. But yeah, so Don Shula, um, just a legend. Let's see, I have his stats right here. Back to back Super Bowls in in seventy two and seventy three, uh, the lone undefeated season in NFL history. That was in seventy two. Um, he has over a hundred and over one hundred fifty more wins than losses. So he has a two hundred and fifty-seven wins and one hundred and thirty-three losses and two ties. Um, wow! And he went sixth yeah. overall. I That's think he failed. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, and so then I'll go again, and I gotta go with Michael Irvin. It's a good pick. Um, he's uh went to the University of Miami, uh, as we talked about in our episode probably five weeks ago um he was obviously a great nfl receiver played for the cowboys but he was a product or at least a star Mm -hmm. at the university of miami in college so uh and he's like one of the biggest names like recognized with that doesn't his personality
2: personality just scream miami hurricanes too for sure
0: yeah totally like the epitome
2: All right, let's see who we got here. Um, I think I'm going to go with Jason Taylor, the defensive end for the Dolphins. Uh, He was probably the best player on the Dolphins in our lifetime, I guess. Um, Just consistently really good and probably like a borderline Hall of Famer. I don't know if he actually made it in, but I know he's definitely in consideration, so. That's my pick.
1: Cool. I like it, Nick. Uh, I'm going to go Willis uh running back for the for the U. Um, mm-hmm. Prominent figure growing up, and uh, when the U was good in their uh, early 2000s. Um, yeah, I feel like he was the most prominent figure out of um, that group or, or that that college. And that new um, injury
2: too, in that national. And then last game. Uh,
1: this. Yeah, that was
2: yeah one of the worst <laughs> knee injuries I can
1: ever yeah, remember watching bears. live.
2: That was awful,
1: right? No point. No, um, my last pick, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, Kimbo Slice. What?
0: <laughs> Is this my
1: second second time picking him? I think. Didn't I pick him I first? Don't know. <laughs> or another time or maybe maybe he might have been an honorable men- mention. Yeah, yeah, so Kimbo Slice grew up or he was like fighting out of Miami. Uh apparently, so once I, got, I saw his okay. name on a list of Miami affiliation, I had to go for it.
2: I would have never known that. <laughs>
1: Just a legend.
2: <laughs> uh, all right, uh, I got to pull my list here. Um I'm going to I'm going to end with uh Alonzo Morning. Um great player for a long hmm. time, uh cancer survivor. Just just seems like a, an awesome dude, so
0: Alonzo Morning, it is. Alrighty. I'm gonna go with one that I hadn't really I didn't really know about until today. I'm doing John Van Beesbrook, who is one of the greatest uh goalies in at the NHL. Um, but I didn't really know much about him. Um, but just Can you say quick, that again? Like, you, his claim to cut fame out is me. that he is... Oh, John Van beesbrook It's V-A-N-B-I-E-S-B-R-O-U-C-K. Um, he has 374 wins, which is a lot. It's the... It's the um, just He's just the second American-born goalie to ever have 300 wins yeah, in the definite. NHL. Um, yeah. So, Sam, do you want to just give us a quick rundown of what yeah, let's every do it. Uh, uh, one Yeah, so Mount
2: Rushmore and Miami athletes. Wren went with Dan Marino, Don Shula, Michael Irvin, and John Van Breesbook. Right. And then uh, I went with Dwayne Wade, Mm -hmm. Dontra Willis, Jason Taylor, and Alonzo Mourning. And Nick finished us off with Pat Riley, Miguel Cabrera, Willis McGahey, and Kimbo Slice.
0: Very good. Uh, Let's just keep things rolling here, uh, and we'll go into our documentary wish list where we kind of project a documentary that we want made. And, uh, my turn this week, we just kind of alternate or rotate, I guess. Um, and a documentary or a 30 for 30, I guess, that I would like to see made down the road is, uh, it's one on the Moniz surfing family from Hawaii. So there's a whole bunch of them. And they've all, uh, uh, not, a lot of them have just accomplished a whole bunch in surfing. So it's really, um, Tony Moniz is like the father. He's now, I do not I won't probably say late 50s, but he was like a big wave surfing legend in Oahu in Hawaii. Um, and he, you know, the Eddie I Kao, which is like one of the biggest big wave surfing competitions in the world. He's like a legend of that. And then he had all these kids that were, like, all pro surfers. Uh, he has, like, four boys, I think, and they're, you know, ranging in ages. And uh, one girl, Kaylee Moniz, who's, like, super popular, she's, like, a long sur- longboard surfing world champion. Um, and she's, like, a big, like, model slash brand ambassador for, like, surf brands, Billabong and stuff, or um, or Roxy or whatever that is. And, um, Seth Moniz is the youngest of, of the siblings. And he was the rookie of the year on the world surf league last year. Um, and, and his other older brothers have accomplished a whole bunch too. And the idea here is like, obviously it's a great story. Like they're all super accomplished and, and it would be, just kind of down the road when there's even more things that they have accomplished. Like Seth Mooney's is probably the best of all the kids. And he's, I guess he's like just, he's like 21 right now or something. And he's just getting in on the big, like he's just kind of reaching his peak in the next few years. And, um, I mean, it's just a great story. I lived down the street, like, like half a block from their surf shop in Waikiki, uh, for a couple of years prior to this. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and like, like Waikiki is like the home, like where surfing was invented, and that's where they, um, Tony Moniz like has his surf lessons he gives, and that's where they grew up. They were like homeschooled. That's where they grew up, surfing and and living and hanging out and stuff. So, um, it's just a really like historical thing. It, it's like it does sound super featurey, and there's not a whole bunch of like. Sure. hard like you know bad stuff or something that happens but it, it sure. wouldn't have to be you know that type of documentary it could be just more of like a historical journey so that's uh i mean i would love to watch that it's, it's it would be super aesthetically pleasing for yeah. anyone to watch video sure. and, and yeah i definitely watch that sunset,
2: and i think so. it'd be cool to Can't just uh, <laughs> get away from you know some of the major sports that tend to have a lot of these thirty for thirties and touch on something like surfing, which is unique
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree, and I think there is there is one um thirty for thirty on some Hawaiian surfer probably coming up in a while, but I think I might have seen that somewhere, nice. but not on them um, cool um let's go on, I guess, and finish up with our. Our what's next on the documentary docket? Sam All right, one second but, uh, here, pulling what are we it up, sorry. Next time.
2: Um yeah, so this will be our thirteenth. No worries and it is called the sixteenth man. Um and speaking of uh, hitting different sports that aren't some of the major ones, this one's about how hosting and winning the nineteen ninety five Rugby World Cup combined with Nelson Mandela's support of Springboks national team uh, affected post apartheid um South Africa So yeah that that'll be wow. th- obviously the first rugby one that we're covering and I don't know much about rugby or that story at all so Uh
0: that one's going to be a banger it sounds like I mean you're dealing with no Nelson Mandela and in on this one <laughs> Wow Oh, wait. Cool.
2: I just have to say um, this. It's yeah, directed by up, Morgan guys. Freeman is one of the directors. So that yeah. makes it even more of a banger. If he <laughs> narrates the whole thing, it's immediately a 10. Whoa. Oh, for sure. Immediately.
1: Just the opening scene.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> just turn it off. You
0: hear and then he, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, well, we have that to look forward to. Um, Follow us on on social media. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, Goodbye. Peace out, guys. Thanks.